I did some research regarding a few other storms that I wanted to just share a few details. The deadliest storm in the U.S. history took place in 1900. It was a category four hurricane called the Galveston Hurricane. The winds were 120 miles an hour. Those that witnessed the event said that a 50-foot high wall of gray came from offshore to onshore. And somewhere between eight and 12,000 lives were lost. Those of you that have been to Galveston know that it is a place that's used to flooding, used to water. That's a lot of lives. But the worst storm in recent recorded history wasn't here in the United States. It took place in Bangladesh in 1970, and it was a cyclone. There was a 33-foot-high storm surge. And it's hard to really put this into um, something that we can comprehend. 500,000 lives were lost. 500,000. Now, storms, they, they have a lot of devastating impact, but they also can have some, some positive impact. After Katrina hit 15 years ago, we, uh, and I say we in the collective sense, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers set to work, and they began to build uh, things that would protect the city. And since that hurricane 15 years ago, the Army Corps of Engineers have spent $18 billion in getting ready for what they call the next 100-year storm. And a 100-year storm is simply a storm that is so great that there's really only a 1% chance that that storm can happen in any given year. Now today, what I'd like us to do is look at a storm that happened during Jesus' ministry, found in Matthew chapter 14, beginning at the second half of verse 23. It says, later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son 
of God. This morning, I'd like to look at three things that I believe that if we will look at them, if we will realize them, that we can come through any storm in life victoriously. And we've been looking at storms in Scripture all all month long for the last uh, four weeks. And so now we're going to really take a turn here, and we're going to look at at being able to come through a storm very victoriously if we look at these things. And the first thing that we need to look at, and this is really important for us to understand, to realize, is that Jesus doesn't need a boat. Jesus doesn't need a boat. Whatever storm you may be experiencing in your life, Jesus doesn't need a boat to get there. I mean, you're in a boat. I'm in a boat, but Jesus doesn't need a boat. Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000, plus women and children. Scholars say it could have been anywhere from eight to 12,000 people. It was a tremendous miracle that Jesus had just wrought, and uh, there was, I'm sure the disciples were extremely excited. Uh, there was just a lot of, of excitement, and it's getting late I mean, it was late before the miracle. That's why the disciples said, Jesus, send these people home. It was getting late, and, and, and Jesus was dispersing the crowd, and he tells the disciples, I want you to get in the boat, and I want you to go out on the lake. We're talking about the Sea of Galilee here, sometimes called uh, Lake Gennesaret. And so the disciples are heading out onto the boat. Jesus, in the meantime, he heads up the mountain and he goes and finds himself a place to pray. We read from the scripture that the disciples, they're, they're now a long way from shore. They're, they're not close shore, to the shore. It's now the middle of the night and we see that, that according to what Bible scholars tell us, they're probably close to the middle of the lake, which is about a 10-mile wide lake at any given point. So they're four or five miles from shore where they've left. I'm sure they have some sort of a destination, but they are out in the middle, and something happens that is very common to happen, and there's very little way to predict it. A storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee. We've talked about it before, but waves in storms like this can very quickly get to 10 feet. And we know from the lake that we live on that you cannot mess around with waves and small boats. And we know that if, if it's windy and if it's calling for high winds, we just stay off Lake Superior altogether and say, you know what, it's better to just live to fish another day. That's just kind of how it goes on that lake. Well, they didn't have any way of predicting this storm, but they find themselves in the middle of a storm, and the Bible says that the, the ship, the boat, not, not a ship, but the boat is buffeted by the wind and the waves. And that word buffeted in the Greek, it literally means tortured. The boat is being tortured. So if the boat is being tortured, what's really happening to those that are inside the boat? 
those that are seeking refuge, that have been using it for transportation, if the boat itself is tormented, if it's tortured, if it's being beat up that bad, I can imagine that those that are in the boat feel that their lives are, are literally in danger. They've been up all night long. They're exhausted. They had a full day of ministry the day before, and things are not going well. And the worst part about this storm, the worst part about this boat, is that Jesus isn't there. You see, they were in the boat on another occasion. And on that occasion, Jesus was in the boat. He was sleeping in the front of the boat. And as this storm uh, really got going and they began to fear for their own lives, they woke Jesus up and they said, Jesus, aren't you afraid we're going to perish? And Jesus, the Bible says, spoke and the wind and the waves subsided immediately. So they knew what Jesus could do in a storm in a boat. But Jesus wasn't there. Jesus wasn't with them. I think that the enemy likes to do something in our lives. And it has to do with the storm. He loves it when we feel alone and isolated in the storm. And that's how the disciples felt. And I don't think they, they felt alone or isolated as a group. I think individually in the group, they felt alone and isolated. And when storms hit our lives, I believe that the enemy is there and he whispers to us, you are all alone and Jesus isn't in your boat. And we feel terrified because our boat is getting beat to smithereens. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. But the truth is, Jesus doesn't need a boat. You see, Jesus can get anywhere at any time. He doesn't need a boat to get there. You see, we can speak his name in the midst of the storm. And he's right there with us. In fact, he never left. We, we, we don't need to speak his name, but by speaking his name, it makes us aware of his presence. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That includes in the boat, in the storm. He's with us. I love what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 23, starting at verse 23. He said, am, am I only, this is God speaking through Jeremiah Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? In other words, God is, is God whether we think he's close by or whether we think he's far away. And he's everywhere at the same time. But when we're in the boat in the middle of a storm, the enemy just loves to whisper in my ear and in your ear that you are all alone and nobody cares about what you're going through right now and this storm is going to take you down. You see, Jesus has the same characteristics as God. God says, I'm not just a God of close by, I'm a God of far away. All at the same time, Jesus is with you. He's with me in the midst of our storms. And it doesn't, he doesn't need a boat to get to you. 
He's already there. Next, number two, Jesus speaks out of the storm. The most famous storm in the scripture is a metaphorical storm. It's, it wasn't a, uh, an actual weather event. And it took place in the life of a man named Job. Job was considered to be the greatest man in all the East. The Bible says that he was blameless, that he was upright, that he feared God, that he shunned evil, and that God said about Job that there was no one like him on all the earth. Wouldn't that be incredible that God would say that about you or about me? Think of how awesome that would be. That God said, there's nobody like, like this person. I, we would be like, that. that's pretty good. But Job was about ready to face a storm. You see, Satan asked God if he could bring a storm into Job's life. And the Bible tells us that in one day, Job lost everything. The numbers are, are, are crazy big numbers. We don't, I'm, you know, 7,000 sheep. What do I know about how much 7,000 sheep is really? What does that mean? I, I don't know. It's a lot of sheep. He had 3,000 camels, 500 pair of oxen. He had 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. The Bible says that, that he had seven sons and three daughters. And that day, what happened is one of his servants came and said, Job, all of your sheep are gone. They've been stolen, and all of your servants that, that took care of them, they're, they're dead. I'm the only one left. And while he was still talking, another servant comes in and says, Job, I want you to know that all your camels have been stolen, all your servants have been killed, and I'm the only one left. And while he was talking, the next guy comes in and says, your oxen, it's the same story. While he was talking, the next guy comes in and says, it's your donkeys. And while he was still talking, it's the next guy that comes in and says, all of your kids were together for a bit of a, a celebration, and the whole place caved in, and all of your children are dead. That's a storm. That's a storm. There was no break. It just kept coming and coming and coming. His friends said, Job, you must have some secret sin in your life, and you better confess it and get right with God because this is the big one. His wife said, Job, curse God and die. I wonder how we would have responded if we were Job. How would we respond to that kind of news, that kind of storm in our lives? How many of us would have gotten angry? I mean, Job's wife obviously had the gift of the words of affirmation to say to her husband, curse God and die. That's a, that's a gift right there. We, man, we'd be mad. I'd, we'd be mad at our friends for saying that to us. We'd be mad at our spouse We'd, I, I even think we'd probably be mad at God. We'd be saying, God, what have I done? You show me. You, you show me what I've done, and, and I'll own up to it. But God, I have not done anything to deserve this. I have feared you. I have walked righteously before you. And now all of this happens to me, this incredible storm. It would be easy for us to get mad at and to even blame God. 
But look what Job says in Job chapter 1, verse 22. He says, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He refused to blame God for the storm. Even after God took his health, the Bible says that, that, that boils grew on, on his skin and he took, he took uh, pottery, broken pottery, and he scraped the boils off his own skin. God had taken everything from him. He didn't have any possessions anymore. Everything had been stolen from him. More than likely, he did not own any property because they were nomadic in nature and they moved from one place to the next, so they didn't own their property. Literally, his, his health had been taken from him. His progeny had been taken from him. Any chance to have, to have family, any chance to have grandchildren and a legacy like that had been taken from him. His reputation had been taken from him. Everything in this storm except his very life, even his comfort and his health were taken from him. And then in the midst of this, it happens. Job 38.1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. I want you to know that when you go through a storm, when it seems like it's at its worst, God is there and he is ready to speak to you and speak to me from the storm, from the midst of the storm. You know, the disciples, while they were in their storm on Galilee, they, they thought that they saw a ghost. They were literally terrified. They cried out in fear. And then out of that storm, at the worst moment, they've been out all night long, and the, the boat is being tortured by the waves. And Jesus speaks to them. And what does he say? Do not be afraid. It is I. It is I. And I want you to know that nothing else changes at that moment. The wind doesn't die down. The, the, the waves don't stop tormenting the boat, torturing the boat. It's all still happening. The only difference is that Jesus has made his presence known to his followers. They cried out to him and he said, guys, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm here. And in the middle of your storm, the most important thing that Jesus could say is not peace be still to the storm, but don't be afraid. I'm here. It's me. Don't be afraid. None of the circumstances had changed, but the one who had the authority to calm the storm showed up. They did not need to be afraid because Jesus is the one that had the authority. And I want you to know that whether it's today or that storm that you may, may be in in the future, that God, through his son Jesus, wants to speak to you in the midst of that storm and say to you, do not be afraid. It's me. I'm here. That tells us that Jesus is calling. That's where we're going with this third point. Jesus is calling in, Elijah, uh, in Elijah's life, the prophet in 1 Kings 19, he was going through a storm. And um, 
the king of Israel named Ahab and his wife Jezebel were attempting to kill the prophet. He was alone. He was depressed. He was hiding. He was whining and complaining. He was tired. And God tells him, go up on the mountain. In fact, I'm going to pass by you on that mountain. And when you see me pass by, I want you to come out because I'm going to speak to you. And the Bible tells us that there was a powerful wind that happened on that mountain. And Elijah did not come out because he didn't sense that that's where God was. Then there was an incredible earthquake. Elijah didn't come out. There was a great fire on the mountain. Elijah still didn't come out. But then there was a whisper. And the Bible tells us that Elijah sensed God's presence in the whisper, and he stepped out of the cave and into God's presence. God's presence is in the whisper. You see, God is not the loudest thing that we hear in the, in the midst of our storm. And, and I want you to know that when you're in the storm and the enemy is battling your life, the enemy is very loud, but God is often the still small voice. You see, God does not need to raise his voice. He is simply waiting for you and I to listen and to hear his voice. I want you to look at what Peter responded. <clears throat> Excuse me. How Peter responded to Jesus in Matthew 14, our text. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat. We skim right by this. We're talking about a storm with potential 10-foot waves that are happening. And Peter's going to try to get out of the boat. I think the hard thing is to stay in the boat. But Peter said, I'm going to get out of the boat. He gets out of the boat. And look at what it says. He walked on the water and came toward Jesus. You see, we always think of it. And the story, we remember that Peter started to sink. We forget the fact that Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water and he comes toward Jesus. He is walking on the water. How incredible in the midst of that storm. But then the Bible says that he took his eyes off Jesus. See, as long as he was looking at Jesus... And ignoring the wind and the waves going on around him, he was fine. He was walking on the water. But the moment he began to look at the circumstances, the moment he began to look at the wind and the waves, he began to sink. You and I need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus in the midst of our storm. Do you ever think about the fact that you cannot focus on two things at once simultaneously? You can only focus on one thing because the moment I change my focus from one thing, it's no longer on that thing. We can't look at two things at once. As soon as Peter lost his focus and began to look at the wind and the waves, that's when he was sunk. Author Crystal McDowell said that what consumes your mind controls your life. 
Why? Because we're focusing on it. Isaiah 26 and verse 3, the prophet Isaiah said, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Peter's mind in the midst of the storm, it became consumed. It came distracted with the wind and the waves. It became consumed and distracted by the storm itself. And as soon as that, the storm got his attention, that's when he started to go down. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, he said, set your mind on things above. We need to focus on Jesus in the midst of the storm. As I close, I think there's four things that we need to remember and recall as we get ready to step out of our boat because I believe Jesus is calling us out of the boat. In the midst of the storm, we, we've cried out to him, and he said, don't be afraid, I'm here. And we're Peter. And it's time to get out of the boat in the middle of the storm. The first thing is that every storm we go through, we learn more about Jesus. You see, the first storm is where the disciples learned that Jesus had the authority to speak to the wind and the waves. And so when they saw him in the second storm, they're like, okay, that's the guy. Uh, that's the guy we need because he has the authority. We need to remember that every storm we go through, we learn more about Jesus. Secondly, worship is the weapon against worry in the time of storm. What did the disciples do when Jesus got into the boat? And immediately, without him even speaking this time, the wind and the waves just calmed down, and it said that they worshiped him. Truly, this, this, this has to be the Son of God. They worshiped. Worship is the weapon against worry in the storm. Thirdly, God can restore everything in your life that the storm takes away. The prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 25, God says through him, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. In other words, whatever the storm takes, I can restore that to you. And we saw that in Job's life, that Job blessed, that God blessed Job more in the second part of his life than he did the first part of his life. He blessed him with twice as many sheep with twice as many camels, with twice as many oxen, with twice as many uh, donkeys. He blessed him with, with another set of seven sons and three daughters. God blessed him more. God can restore everything that the storm takes. And fourthly, faith requires focus. We've got to focus on Jesus in the midst of the storm. Today, I'd like to close our service by having the worship team lead us in a song that talks about the waves, talks about getting into the water. And as they lead us, I'm going to invite you to stand all across this place. And if you're in the middle of a storm, I just want to encourage you to begin to worship, to begin 
to put your focus on him. Come on, stand with me all across this place. And let's put our focus on him. Let's put our focus on Jesus. Knowing, believing that he is here. He is with us. Do not be afraid. It's me. I'm here. As they lead us, you worship.